hello and welcome everyone today. Uh, if I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, my name is Tyson. I'm one of the pastors on the team here at Callwood Church, and uh, I'm grateful that you're joining us for this morning. Uh, if you haven't been with us for these last number of weeks, we have been spending time in the book of Daniel. And if you're brand new to church or you don't know kind of the history and the background, Daniel is a story that is taken over uh, multiple decades about the people of Israel and how they were taken out of their homeland in Israel and brought into captivity uh, in the, in the, under the empire of Babylon. They were taken from their homes and they were dropped into a brand new society. A society that was pluralistic. It had many gods, many ways to morality. And so for, for us as a church, it's some, in some ways similar to the society that we live in today. There are many different paths to what is right, to what is good, and they're all equally valid. And so we've been trying to learn and understand what, what does it mean for us to follow Jesus faithfully today, and what can we learn from these young men Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who've gone before us and been placed in a somewhat similar uh, situation. And, it, and over the last few weeks specifically, we've been in a series called Storytime. And it's been a lot of fun. We've been talking about some of the big main stories from the book of Daniel. In the first week, we talked about Daniel interpreting King Nebuchadnezzar's dreams. And last week, we talked about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and the fiery furnace. And uh, if you weren't with us last week, we learned that King Nebuchadnezzar's voice kind of sounded like Arnold Schwarzenegger a little bit. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you've got to go back and watch last week. Pastor Sean had a great conversation. And so today we are going to turn our attention back to the flannel graph. If you didn't grow up in church or you don't know what this is, this is my Sunday school experience right here. It's what made Bible stories come to life, and we're going to turn back to our flannel graph today. So let me just get the scene set, and we'll see if we have anyone joining us for today. Okay, we've got this here. Ooh, that fell down already. Very key, important moment of flannel graph is you really have to get a good seal on the flannel. You've got to make sure that it really takes hold there. Okay, so we've got something going on here, and we've got lots of people joining with us. We're, we're taking our story out of Daniel chapter 5 today. And so if you're not familiar with this, you can flip to it in, in, your, in, your, in your Bibles. And we've got a new king. Now, some of you might be saying, that looks a lot like King Nebuchadnezzar, but there's a key distinct difference. His hat tells you it's a different king. Pay attention, people. This is King Belshazzar this week. And, and rumor has it that King Belshazzar actually might be able to join us today. King Belshazzar, are you there? Hey, Vicar, how you doing, bud? That's a wonderful Vicar accent. Stare. How you doing, bud? I, I appreciate you joining us, King Belshazzar. Thank you I'm so much. I'm here for you, buddy. I appreciate that. Thank you. Now, just to be clear, um, was King Belshazzar Australian or British? It's whatever you think he is, bud. <laughs> I have a feeling he's going to waver back and forth. Look at my hat. It looks two. like a flower pot upside down, doesn't <laughs> it, buddy? Yeah, it's a, it's a great crown. I love it, King Belshazzar. Um, King Belshazzar, we have this, this scene set. There is a massive party happening in Daniel chapter 5, and, and people are drinking. They're having a good time. There's, uh, the story tells us that there's over a thousand people. It's tons of people, isn't it? It's tons, loads even. Tons of people at the party. Look at the turkey on the table. Yeah. It must be Thanksgiving in Babylon. I don't know. 
and we have this amazing party happening. And at one point in the party, you ask for some of your servants to go get something for you. What did you ask them to go get? Well, if you look at the table, bud, it's missing the cups. So I told him, hey, go fetch the golden cups my father took from the temple of Jerusalem. So then they uh, went and got the golden cups there, buddy. <laughs> King Belshazzar, did you take a quick trip to Scotland or something there? <laughs> I just I'm appreciate a you. I love it. I just appreciate Not the basketball you. player. No, 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 no. <laughs> okay. So you got these golden cups, and these cups were cups actually from the temple in Jerusalem, and they were used in the worship of, of Yahweh, the people of Israel, and they were taken as plunder to Babylon, and they were kept in a storehouse for many years, and so in this party, you bring out these cups, and you begin to, to toast to your gods, the gods of silver, gold. Can you tell us what happened as you began to drink from these cups and toast to your gods? All right, so bud, listen up here. This is what happened, all right? So there was a bunch of us, like thousand people, and we're all praising false gods of like gold, silver, brass, iron, wood, stone, all those things, right? But then suddenly, every voice uh, was hushed, and every hand that held a goblet just like shook. It was scary. But honestly, bud, know what happened? On the palace wall, uh, there appeared a hand of fire. It's crazy, buddy. And then all of a sudden, a blazing light. And it wrote on the wall, man. It wrote, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Ephrasin. On the wall. This hand that was on fire, all of a sudden, just started writing on the wall. Okay. And yeah. when you saw this writing on the wall, what happened, King Belshazzar? I, I imagine you'd be probably pretty scared, eh? Well, myself and all my buddies, we were just trembling with terror. We were certain this strange uh, event would somehow spelled the doom of us all, actually, bud. And uh, the hand, all of a sudden, it disappeared uh, from the area, and uh, the words remained on the wall. This was uh, first century graffiti, honestly. <laughs> Couldn't believe they did this to my palace, but uh, the, the words remained on the wall, bud. Okay, and... Uh... <laughs> I love that you're visiting California somewhere along the way here too, Belshazzar. That's great. Um, <laughs> um, so these words are on the wall, and, and I heard that you asked your wise men to try and interpret them for you, and they could not get it done. And so in, in, into the scene steps another character, and this character is invited by the queen mother, and it's, it's Daniel. Now, some of you might say, hey, that, that looks a lot older version of Daniel, and it is, because this is actually probably when Daniel's about 80 years old. It's a, a different king. And so we've got older Daniel, and Daniel, you are invited to interpret these words on the wall. So older version of Daniel, are you there today to help us out today? Yes, sir, I sure am. <laughs> That's not offensive to any of the seniors in our church at all. We it's love okay. you, seniors. It's a rude event, I heard. Okay. Uh, older Daniel, why don't you tell us, what, what did you say to King Belshazzar that day? Well, first of all, Belshazzar was like, hey, Daniel, if you could uh, read these, I'm going to give you these gifts. Uh, you're going to be clothed in purple and all that stuff. And I said, no, 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 no. I don't need that stuff, sir. Uh, but I will read the writing on the wall, and I'll give an interpretation of that for you. 
Wonderful. And, and when you read the writing on the wall, what did you say to King Belshazzar that day? Well, I said, Oh, King, the Most High God gave Nebuchadnezzar a kingdom of great power and splendor. But when his heart and mind were filled with pride, God removed him from his royal throne. A terrible madness took over him, and he roamed the fields, living like animals until at last he knew that the Most High rules the kingdom of men. And then I said, and you, O Belshazzar, you knew all of this, yet you have not been humble. You have defiled the God of heaven. You took the sacred cups from God's temple, and you have been drinking wine from them while praising your false gods. But you have not praised the God who gives you breath of life and controls your destiny. Wow, that's a pretty intense message. And when you gave that message to King Belshazzar, what happened after that, that night? Well, I said to him, hey, this is, the, this is what's going on. And uh, then I told him what the words meant. And so I said, mene means uh, numbered. God has numbered the days of your reign and they are ending. And I said, tekel means weighed. You have been weighed in God's balances and have failed the test. Epherson means divided. Your kingdom will be divided and uh, given to the Medes and the Persians. And so here's what happened. Uh, we were talking together with him, and all of a sudden, uh, later that night, uh, the enemy soldiers came into the city, and Belshazzar was killed, uh, just as I predicted. Uh, his kingdom was taken over by the people that I said would take over him. And uh, at the end of the day, what you need to know there, uh, vicar, as Belshazzar calls you, uh, God requires us all to be humble before him. Okay, thanks so much, Daniel, for that. Uh, I really appreciate you giving us uh, Daniel chapter 5. Can we thank Belshazzar and Daniel for joining us? <laughs> thanks so much, and I'll do my best to be a vicar for the rest of this okay, morning. Okay, goodbye, bye. Th thank you. <laughs> so there you have it. That is the story we are looking at today out of Daniel chapter 5. And... Uh, we, we are looking at this story, and I, there's a couple kind of key elements that I want us to look at from this story. Two main things. The, the first is that there's a party that is happening. There is a massive party that is going on in this temple, and there's, or in, the, in this palace, and there's over a thousand people who are a part of it. And one of the key characters we need to look at is this guy right here, King Belshazzar. We'll, we'll make him sit back down uh, for this part. We'll, we'll let him uh, off the hook there. So King Belshazzar is the king during this portion of scripture. And if you, if you don't know history, if you're not a history buff, King Belshazzar was actually not King Nebuchadnezzar's son. Your, your Bible might say that he is his son. And that's not a mistake. It's just in the language of that time, what is happening is that anyone who succeeded a king would have been labeled as a son. So Belshazzar is actually, his dad is Nabonidus. And Nabonidus uh, had usurped the throne and killed one of King Nebuchadnezzar's grandsons who was on the throne. And uh, it's most likely that King Belshazzar's mom was one of uh, Nebuchadnezzar's daughters. And so we have this king, uh, Nabonidus, who is taken over the throne and about Seven years into his reign, he decides he wants to go out to an oasis in the desert and spend his time there instead of being in the capital in Babylon. And so he puts Belshazzar, his son, in charge of the whole kingdom. 
That's why in the story, when we hear that Belshazzar offers all those things to Daniel, he actually says, I'll make you third in control of the kingdom, because that's as high as he could offer, because he was only actually in second in command. And so that's kind of what's going on. That's our main kind of character for this portion of scripture. This is the king, and he throws this massive party. And there's a lot of evidence that this was not just a normal party for what was happening. In the text out of Daniel chapter 5, we find that there was wives present, which is not normal, but it's not out of the ordinary necessarily. But there was also concubines present in this party. This is kind of a way of signifying that it's an attempt to make this party extra sensual and a very loose environment. The alcohol is flowing. People were probably scantily clad. And there's a thousand plus people in this frenzied and kind of crazy party that's happening. And so why is there so much chaos? Why is it is such an incredibly wild party, specifically that night with over a thousand people? And if you know history, it's, you know it's because the fall of Babylon is imminent. Uh, about seven to ten days before this, uh, as we heard, the, the Mede and Persian Empire came into Babylon and they defeated the army of the Babylonians about 50 miles away from the capital. And so there is this tension in the air. The people, the nobles, the, the leaders of the Babylonian Empire are wondering what is going to happen. Is, is Cyrus going to come in and is he going to offer peace and we'll get to keep all of our positions? Or is he going to come in and burn the city to the ground? There's a tension and there's this wondering of what's going to happen. People are scared. Babylon in this moment in history is kind of like a boxer who has been knocked out on the ropes but has not fallen down yet. And this fall of Babylon is imminent. And Daniel, as he is entered into this party, he, he, he sees that there's this fall that is imminent for this, this empire. And one of the reasons why this fall happens is King Belshazzar asks for these cups. Now, you heard our British, Australian, Scottish person who was Belshazzar today talking about these cups and saying that he toasted to his God's uh, of gold, silver, uh, all of these different gods of, of Babylon at that time. And Belshazzar brings out the cups as one of the ways that he's flaunting Babylon's power. The, the fall is imminent, but Belshazzar in his arrogance says, this is one of the king's kingdoms that we have conquered. This is one of the gods that we have conquered. And he takes the cups that were used in the worship of Yahweh and he toasts to his own gods. This is blatantly sacrilegious. It would be like someone walking into our church if we were having communion on a Sunday, taking one of the communion cups, dumping out the, the juice that we drink, filling it up with whiskey and raising a shot to the devil. Like, it is blatantly sacrilegious. He knows what he is doing in that moment. It, there's no doubt about it. And for us in that moment, we'd be like, if we saw someone do that, we would be deeply offended. We would be shocked, and, and, and rightly so, because the, what he was doing in that moment was, in fact, shocking. And in, in that moment, he continues on this, this kind of deep sacrilege. And this leads me to uh, the first thing that I want us to kind of take from this story and transport it into 21st century for us today. And it's simply this. Don't be shocked when Babylon mocks. We have this culture that has taken God out of the center. There is no reverence 
or, or understanding of who Yahweh is as the creator of all. As the passage tells us out of Daniel chapter 5, as the one who gives breath to, to King Belshazzar's lungs, there is no reverence and awe and wonder for this God at all. They've taken God out of the center, and as a result of that, they begin to mock God, mock the followers of Yahweh, and start to drink from his cups. In 2011, in 2012, Morgan Freeman was doing this series of interviews for a documentary that he was a part of, and the interviewers asked Morgan Freeman if he believed that there was a God. And Morgan Freeman's response to that question was, yes, I believe that there is a God and we are God. The interviewer continued and asked a different question and said, well, Morgan, do you fear God? And he says, no, I do not fear God for I am him. He believed that he was God to the point that he was willing to say, I am God. That is the type of culture that we still live in today. Even though that's over a decade ago, we live in a culture that has taken God out of the center in a lot of ways. We live in a culture where people have very little regard, reverence, or respect for God. And so for us today in the 21st century, we should not be surprised when people mock our faith, when people mock our God, when people look down on us for believing that there is one God who is above all, that's not, that's, we shouldn't be shocked when people disregard us or, or choose to cast us aside because of that. That's kind of the obvious part of this story, is when Babylon chooses, as it has many times throughout history, Babylon is a, a, uh, an archetype of every type of human empire that has kind of followed after it. And when Babylon takes God out of the center, what follows is mocking, what follows is disregard for God. And so we should not be surprised that this modern Babylon that we live in at times disregards God and mocks him. That's the kind of blatant and obvious way to look at this passage, but there's one thing that I want us to see that's maybe a little bit more subtle. When we take God out of the center of our own lives, we may not be as blunt or as bold as Morgan Freeman in saying, I am God, but in a way we functionally live that way. Sometimes when we take God out of the center and live as if we were not dependent on him or that we didn't need God, we can live with what's kind of called a functional atheism, where our lives wouldn't really be that different whether God existed or did not exist. And for all of us today, we need to kind of bring some clarity to that. We need to ask ourselves the question, is my posture today of one of just judging the outside world for taking God out of the culture, but I'm doing it personally in my own life without realizing it? We need to stop and we need to reflect and say, is God still the center of my own life? Not just judging the culture around us for taking God out of the center of it. We need to be patient and not up with the posture of judgmentalism when it comes to this culture that we live in. And when we see this lived out in our own lives and in the culture around us, what follows is people are hurt. When we take God out of the center and make our own kingdoms, the book of Judges says all of these crazy stories all throughout it, and if you haven't read the book of Judges, I'd encourage you to go read it, but one of the lines that often says, is said as a summary statement of something crazy that's just happened is the people uh, disregarded God and took him out of the story, and so they did whatever they saw fit. 
And that is what happens still today in our culture. When we take God out of the equation, morality and what is good and bad just becomes subjective to each one of us. And people often get hurt as a result of that. That's what's happening at this party when Belshazzar disregards Yahweh and chooses to drink the cups, worshiping another god from those cups. That's what's happening at this party. And onto the scene steps a couple of party crashers. Have you ever been at a party and all of a sudden the record just stopped? That's what happens in this scene. There's a hand that shows up on the wall and it starts to write. And Belshazzar's response to this writing is that he is completely undone. Uh, the, the color in it leaves his face, and the text in Aramaic says the knots of his joints were loosened, which some translations may render in your Bibles that his legs gave way, but others actually say it, it's, it takes it a step farther to say that he lost control of his body and he soiled himself. So it's a good thing he's sitting back down for this portion of the message today. Not a good spot for Belshazzar. He is completely undone when he sees this writing on the wall. And so he calls his wise men in, and they couldn't interpret it. And the queen, most likely Belshazzar's mother, steps in to solve the problem. And she reminds Belshazzar that there was someone who could help. And in the Aramaic, the way she says someone can come help, she uses the phrase untying the knots, which if that is a pun about Belshazzar soiling himself, that is hilarious. And the queen mother is awesome. But Daniel is invited in, and he was not invited to this party earlier. And we get to read about Daniel's interaction with King Belshazzar. And in chapter, verse 17 of Daniel chapter 5, it says this, Then Daniel answered the king, You may keep your gifts and give your rewards to somebody else. However, I will read the inscription for the king and make the interpretation known to him. When Daniel rejects the king, he is not just being humble in that moment. There is more happening to that situation. And I love the way Pastor Tim Keller sums up what's going on in this interaction. He says, the reason, this is Daniel, the reason I don't want any reward is what I'm about to tell you is not human wisdom. What I'm about to tell you is not the product of my research. It's not the product of my analysis. It's not the product of my insight. What I'm about to tell you is the word of God. This revelation is from God. This is what Daniel has said at every stop along the way in this book. When the kings call him and ask him to interpret a dream, when the king calls him and asks him to interpret what is on the wall, he gives credit and honor and glory back to God. It is not based on his own wisdom. He's saying, if this was based on my own wisdom, maybe I could, I could receive these gifts, but this is not from me. This is from God. And this brings me to the second thing that I kind of want us to, to pull into the 21st century today. We need to start with God's word and his wisdom. Have you noticed that today when there's a problem or a puzzle kind of facing our world or facing our society, what is our response? Our response is, let's bring out the experts. Let's bring out all the experts. Maybe you've watched the news and, and so-and-so is an expert in this field and he's come to give us his opinion on how we can deal with this situation. Well, this approach is not that different from Belshazzar. Belshazzar brings in the enchanters, the astrologers, the diviners, all of the experts in that day. He brings them in and they cannot read what the writing on the wall is. The titles might be different, but the approach is still the same. We start with human wisdom, thinking that it will give us the answers we are looking for, thinking that it will help us to interpret what is written on the wall. 
and it doesn't get us any further ahead. Just like Belshazzar's team, we often struggle to read the writing on the wall today because we don't start with God's word and God's wisdom. In uh, Proverbs chapter 9, it, is, it says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. If we want to start with understanding the world in a proper terms, we need to start with a proper reverence and awe and understanding of who God is. That is what the fear of the Lord is all about. Recognizing that God is God and over everything. And so if we start with human wisdom, we're missing the point. Now, don't misunderstand me. God uses experts. God uses people all the time to, to bring good things into this world. I'm not trying to say that the people who have studied hard and risen to the top of their field are not valued and important. They absolutely are, and God can use them. My contention for us today is, where is our starting point? Is our starting point to start with God and seeking him to give answers to puzzles, seeking him to help us when we need wisdom and discernment? Or is it to start with, what does Google say about this issue? That is my contention for us today, is to come back to the root of all wisdom, which is starting with an understanding of who God is. Daniel continues, and he goes on to say this to King Belshazzar. Your majesty, the most high God, gave sovereignty, greatness, glory, and majesty to your predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar. Because of the greatness he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages were terrified and fearful of him. And he continues and says, he killed anyone he wanted and he kept alive anyone he wanted. He exalted anyone he wanted and he humbled anyone he wanted. But when his heart was exalted and his spirit became arrogant, he was deposed from his royal throne and his glory was taken from him. He was driven away from people. His mind was like an animal's. He lived with the wild donkeys and he was fed grass like cattle. And his body was drenched with dew from the sky until he acknowledged that the Most High God is ruler over the kingdoms and he sets anyone he wants over them. King Belshazzar gets a history lesson from Daniel chapter 4 as the first thing that, that he is told from Daniel. A history lesson that talks about how King Nebuchadnezzar thought that he was most powerful, thought that he was high above everyone, and thought that there was nothing that could touch him. And in that moment, he is actually sent out and driven mad to the point where he's in the fields grazing like cattle. If you want to read that story, you can read Daniel chapter 4. Neb had become arrogant and prideful and thought that there was no one above him. And in that situation, when he humbles himself and recognizes who God was, he is restored. And as followers of Jesus today, I want to encourage us, how we view the world is really important. Do we view the world as every good gift coming from God? Or do we think that it's just the work of our hands and that there's no one above us like Nebuchadnezzar? We can think that everything we have has been earned and pride can begin to swell instead of recognizing that every good thing we have in our lives is a grace that has been given to us by God. When King Nebuchadnezzar took himself out of the center and put God back at the center, recognizing his position and his power, God restored him. And then Daniel turns his attention in this story to back to Belshazzar. So he finishes the history lesson and he goes back and he says this to Belshazzar. But you, his successor, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, even though you knew all this. Instead, you have exalted yourself against the Lord of heavens. 
The vessels from his house were brought to you, and you, as you and your nobles and wives and concubines drank from them, you praised the gods made of silver and gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or understand, but you have not glorified the God who holds your life breath in his hands and who controls the whole course of your life. Therefore, he sent the hand, and this writing was inscribed. So here in this passage, we have two kings, King Nebuchadnezzar and King Belshazzar. And why does it appear that God deals with them so differently? Was King Belshazzar's drinking from these cups really any worse than King Nebuchadnezzar building a statue and commanding everyone to worship him? Maybe, maybe not. But what we see here in this passage and what Daniel says to King Belshazzar that's so important and vital is that the posture of King, of King Belshazzar's heart was the main issue. While Nebuchadnezzar had his issues and he had plenty of, as we just read earlier, he didn't seem like he was a great guy when your whole kingdom is terrified and fearful of you. King Nebuchadnezzar had his issues, but when he was confronted with them, he humbled his heart and recognized the God of Daniel. He was honoring to the God of Daniel, saying that people should worship him and recognize the God as true. But when faced with his issues, Belshazzar, on the other hand, was unteachable. Belshazzar's heart was not soft and receptive like King Nebuchadnezzar's. And while King Nebuchadnezzar acknowledged Daniel's God, Belshazzar instead, in the face of death, shows no desire to learn. And this leads me to a question that I want us to wrestle with today. Are you listening to the lessons around you? Are you listening to the lessons that God might be speaking to you? That was the number one indictment that God gave to Belshazzar, is you knew all of this and you still didn't listen. You knew all of this and instead of paying attention, you still chose to drink from those cups. For all of us today, are we paying attention to what God is trying to speak? And do we have a soft and repentant heart like King Nebuchadnezzar? Or have our hearts towed closer to being more like Belshazzar, where we are ignoring what God is trying to speak to us? Is there something in your life that you know God has been trying to speak to you about, whether it's a hidden sin or an addiction, and you've kind of been ignoring what's been happening there? Is there someone that you need to ask forgiveness for that has, you've been holding a grudge towards or you need to receive forgiveness from? Is there a relationship that you know God wants you to repair, but you're maybe too proud to go and repair that relationship? I gotta be honest with you, as I was preparing this message this week and I got to this point, I had to pause and, and stop and ask, Lord, am I that man? <laughs> am I someone who has something that I know you're trying to speak to me, but I'm just gonna push it down and ignore it. I'm in this with you. I'm not saying that this isn't something that I need to work on too. King Belshazzar in this moment does not humble his heart and hear the lessons from King Nebuchadnezzar's life. Instead, he stays stubborn and arrogant and prideful and it causes his downfall. One of the things that I love about God's grace is that he will give you time and time again. He will give you opportunities to repent. That is who God is. It is in his character. He is gracious and compassionate to thousands of generations. That is what the Bible teaches us about him. The question is, do we have a receptive heart to when he wants to teach us? Are we willing to listen 
to what God wants to write on our hearts. I love the way that John Lennox puts this. He says, the same hand that wrote the law on the stone tablets for Moses wrote on the wall in Babylon and on the dusty ground in Jerusalem, and it writes still on repentant and believing hearts. God wants to write on our hearts. He wants to speak to you today. Do we have hearts that are receptive and listening to his voice and the Spirit's leading? And as we listen to him, God's writing on our hearts will become writing on the wall to the world around us. I love the way that the Apostle Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. God has written on your heart. And when we are repentant and humble before him, he is continuing to write words on our hearts. And then he chooses to take and use a community of people with his writing on our hearts as his letter to this world. Do you know that you are his letter to this world today, church? This is the invitation for each one of us. We are to live as his writing. The writing on our community is designed to show the world who Jesus is. The writing on the walls of our hearts is designed to be a letter to this world. And I love, again, how Tim Keller summarizes this idea. He says, Jesus is saying that the writing on the wall, but this is actually the writing is my people. I've created a community in which people's lives are being changed. I've created a community in which they are not subject to insignificance anymore, so they're not hurting each other. They're not trampling on each other, they're loving each other, and they're loving you. They're changing lives through my word. That is how I want the world to see its kingdom is coming down. The kingdom based on self-glorification and coercion is coming down. This message that is written on us is a message of hope. Our part in the story is not to be a judgmental voice to this world around us. Our part in this story is to be a message of hope to this world that so desperately needs it. So as we draw to a close today, let me just ask you this question, last one, simply. What is the writing on your heart saying to those around you? This is why we have to have humble hearts that are receptive to God's teaching because none of us are perfect. Well, maybe, are any of you perfect today? Maybe some of you who've been in this church for a really long time. You're pretty close. But for me, and maybe other people who'd be honest in the room today, we know that we still have a long way to go. We're not called to perfection. We are called to have repentant and humble hearts so that when God speaks to us and leads us into more life and the hope that he has for us, we can be his letter more clearly to the world. That is what he is inviting us to today. This is why we need teachable and humble hearts, not just for ourselves, but actually for the sake of this world that he has planted us in today. We are invited to live as his writing. And when people come up to us and ask us, like they asked Daniel, what does this mean? What does this writing mean? We can point them back to the king. We can point them back to Jesus and we can say, this is what my life means.
That is the invitation for each one of us today to invite people to another banquet. Not the banquet like, Nebuch- not the banquet like Belshazzar was throwing, but the great banquet feast with our true King, Jesus. As we come to a, a close for this morning, uh, the team is going to lead us in, in a song. and It's a very simple song. It's an older one. But it's a song that's all about our heart and our posture. And it's a song that just says, I'm coming back to the heart of worship. So for those of us in the room today, maybe you recognize that God has not been the center part of your story right now in this season. This is an opportunity for you to come back to that heart posture, placing God at the center. And so as Bethany and the team leads us in this song, I just encourage you, you can stand, sit, whatever you want to do, but I encourage you in this moment to just enter into offering your heart back to God right here and right now. And as the song comes to a close, I'll, I'll come back up and finish this morning's gathering. So if, you, if you'd like to stand, you can stand and worship now.
the uh, eyes closed in this room today, I just want to ask a couple of simple questions. We believe that we are whole and embodied people. And what I mean by that is when we say, when we say that, when we ask someone to put up a hand or something like that in, in an act of worship or in an act of response, it is what's going on internally being expressed externally, physically. And so let me just ask a question today when it comes to this idea of God being over all, God being God and, and you not being God. If you recognize in your heart a posture of Belshazzar and you say today, I don't want to have that posture. I want to recognize who God is and honor him and revere him as such. Maybe you've never taken that step and never known Jesus' love and his sacrifice for you today. Let me encourage you. He loves you today and he gave his life on your behalf. That is the type of king that he is. And so if you want to submit your life to that king today, I'd encourage you in this moment, I'd love to pray for you. Just to signal that by just placing up your hand to say that I'd like prayer for that today. So I'm not going to wait if that's you today. I encourage you to just place up your hand. Thank you for your honesty today. Thank you for your honesty. Jesus, for my friends that have just placed up their hands before you, I pray that today, Lord, they would know the grace and love that you have for them. I pray that they would know, Lord, that by submitting to you, they are not submitting out of fear, but submitting out of an understanding and a reverence for who you are, your goodness, your perfection, your holiness. And Jesus, when you walked this earth, you showed us the fullness of who God was, that you drew near to those who were low, you drew near to us, who needed you. And today, my friends who placed their hands up are just saying, we need you, God. And so I pray, Lord, for them today that they would know that they are yours, that they have nothing to fear, but they have been bought by the blood of Jesus today, and they are yours. For my friends in the room today, Lord, who maybe they have known you for a while, but are just recognizing in this season they have drifted away from you drifted away from having you at the center of their lives, drifted away from recognizing and honoring you for who you are. I pray that today, Lord, for those hearts that feel that way, that they would use this to be an encouragement and a turning point. Like King Nebuchadnezzar, Lord, help those of us who have been turned away from you for a season or a time to turn back to you and to run towards you right now. Because in you, life and hope are found. And so Jesus, for us this week, as we leave this place, thank you for the writing that you have just put on our heart, saying that we are loved, saying that we are yours. And may that writing on the walls of our hearts and our lives be your letter to this world around us of who you are, your goodness, your faithfulness, and your love for this world. We all pray all of this in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks so much, church, for being with us today. And if you did make that choice to put your hope and your trust in Jesus today, I would encourage you, go, you can go chat with one of our pastors at the back. They'd love to pray with you today uh, and hear how we can support you as you start your journey of following Jesus. Uh, Pastor James and Levi are just at the Welcome Center over there, and they'd love to pray with you today. Uh, as you go out this week, church, we love you and uh, live as his letter this week. All right, we'll see you next week.